and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about basic witches so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read The Secret Circle by L.J. Smith. Joining us to discuss this 90s teen witch series is Katie, editor and occasional herb hobbyist. Hello, Katie. Welcome. Hi, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for joining us on this book that certainly is a book. <laughs> yes, it is. It's it's certainly several books, actually. Yes, it's a trilogy. Yeah, so before we get too deep into anything, so this was originally a trilogy, but somehow got repackaged into two books. And so this first one is called The Initiation and The Captive Part 1. And then the second book includes The Captive Part 2. And I genuinely don't know why you would do this when, like, it already was a book. Yeah, it, it seemed like a weird choice. Um, and it used to throw me a lot when I was a bookseller because people would, uh, it, because the captive was in both of them and my brain could not always keep the other titles of them in there. More than one time I accidentally handed someone the wrong book because, yeah. Yeah, it's a weird choice, but I guess it's just up to us to keep up with it. I <laughs> yeah. Wild. My choice was to, I, I acquired the volume that contains Initiation and the Captive Part 1, but I only read Initiation and then stopped leaving, you know, a quarter of this book unread because it was actually the first half of the second book because I don't have time for that. Yep. I read uh, the first one and a half. And then in the past I have read all three books, um, but I mainly focused on just the initiation this time around. Did you, Katie, did you read these uh, as a youth or a teen or were they something that you picked up more recently? Much more recently. It was several years ago. Um, Somebody uh, asked me to watch the Secret, Secret Circle TV series, and um, so I did. And then we also started reading the books as well, just to see what the differences are. And uh, they are very different, <laughs> um, but uh, both enjoyable in their own way, their own trashy, candy sort of way. <laughs> yeah, I will say, the, I learned that the show existed yesterday at brunch with Kate and some other friends, um, including my roommate with whom I watch like Riverdale and just tons of trashy TV. And as soon as Kate said, there's a TV show of this, we were like, Oh, we're probably going to watch that. Oh yeah. I think that sounds like it's probably right up your alley because, um, it was, I think it's, uh, well, the same author, L.J. Smith, also wrote The Vampire Diaries, and one of the producers, I believe, from Vampire Diaries left to start Secret Circle. So it's uh, very, very along that whole vein of CW teen magic shows. Love it. I probably also should address The Vampire in the Room, which is I think L.J. Smith is more widely known for The Vampire Diaries. I think that's a better known series. Oh, yes. Um. And of course, our podcast is very vampire aligned, yet somehow this is a blank spot in my personal track record. I haven't watched or read Vampire Diaries. So this is my this is my first uh, 
entry into L.J. Smith. Vampire Diaries, I think they also um, reissued in weird split volumes. Yeah, they did. I didn't pay much attention to it, but yeah, I, I recall they did do that. Which, again, I don't know who made that choice. I know that they were very skinny, like, 90s Christopher Pike, R.L. Stein-esque lengths, but still, um, it was a weird choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is not about vampires. This one is about witches and repressed homosexuality. Yeah. Lots of both. Yes. Um, so why don't we dive into the book? Into the and... freezing cold waters of Cape Cod. Yes, that is the other. Before we'll address the elephant in the room of the fact that this supposedly takes place on the North Shore of Massachusetts. And there are just things that I'm like, mm, did, were you in Massachusetts, L.J. Smith? Like, I know that this was the 90s, so it was a different time, but... <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a witch town. Yeah. Mm, well, in the series, uh, in the adaptation for TV, they moved it to the Pacific Northwest, and maybe that's the reason. Yeah. It was it's very... Which is interesting. I saw that on Wikipedia this morning, and as we'll get to, the setting is kind of important. So I was really... I'd be interested to hear um, when we get to the revelation of why the setting is important, Katie, if you can explain how that's addressed in the series. Yeah. But so to start with, we are in fact on Cape Cod where Cassie, our hero, I guess, we're supposed to think that. Our main character, certainly. Our main character is um, on vacation with her mother. She's from California. She really misses California. She misses her friends. She's been hanging out with this mean girl named Portia for reasons that are never entirely clear. She seems to hate her, and Portia seems to not care very much about Cassie and look down her nose at her. To me, I feel like this could have been explained with one sentence of, like, our moms were friends and we had a vacation together. But it doesn't really seem like that's the case. Uh, not explicitly. But that that's sort of the vibe of, like, we've been forced together and we don't really like each other, except it's never explicitly stated that they've been forced together. Yeah, it's very weird. Um, so Cassie is moping on the beach about how much she wants to go back to California. And uh, she sees this very handsome boy with a dog. But all of her, all the other girls she's with... When they see this guy, they pretend they don't see him because they're rich girls and he, they saw him at the docks, which means he's a dock worker and they don't, they don't give dock worker boys, no matter how hot they are, the time of day. They're very like cartoon rich people like, oh no, a poor. I, in my head, Portia was Pacifica Northwest. Yes. (laughs) If anyone out there watches Gravity Falls. (laughs) that is perfect Um, uh so but cassie can't look away from this boy and his dog runs right up to her um and she's enchanted by him until portia is like stop looking at him and he leaves and not long after portia and her friends disappear well i mean they don't disappear they go off and cassie is alone moping on the beach and she sees the boy come back 
and he looks like he's he's he looks very hunted like he's being chased and he tells her he is in fact being chased and he needs to hide from these guys and he can't explain why but he does need to hide um so she tells him we'll hide in this boat and when they come i'll tell them you went the other way and he seems to think that this won't work but she insists so he does and the other guys who are is one of them um portia's brother uh, I think it, I'm not sure, because I think he, her brother was off being MIT smart somewhere else, and these were just guys who she was friends with. Yeah, it doesn't actually matter, but th- there's like these, these preppy asshole rich guys come up and give her a hard time and don't believe her, but can't prove that it's not true. Um, So they go off in the direction she points and the attractive young man and his dog return, and in his gratitude, he gives her um, a special rock that he tells her will protect her called Chalcedony. Um, and he says, you know, if you I, hold hang it... Hang on. I feel like we we just double-checked this before we started, and I feel like it was Chalcedony? No, I think it was Chalcedony. Chalcedony. Sorry. Ugh. Is it's a weird. It's a fancy rock, and if yes. she, and it's extremely. Um, I used to work as a camp counselor, and if kids were homesick, we would tell them like, "You can hug your pillow, and your parents will feel it, and like know that you miss them, and like you can maybe feel them back through your pillow." And that's like this rock. <laughs> yes, it is a very like, hold it and think of me, and I'll know that you're thinking of me. And it will protect you. And she's like, okay. She feels a like a silver cord is connecting them together. Um, and he disappears. And she didn't even ask his name. Um, and the, he the gives dog's her a name rock. is Raj. Yes, the, dog's name is Raj. He gives her a rock, does not give her his name. Yes. Priorities. <laughs> um, so back at home, Cassie's mom, when Cassie's like, hey, like, when are we going back to California? Her mom is like, okay, actually, you know how I haven't talked to your grandmother in a really long time and we're just, like, sort of getting back into things and how we were maybe briefly going to visit her uh, before we went back to California? Now we're going to move in with her and we're not going back to California. And Cassie is just devastated by the fact that they're not even going back to pack Someone is packing for them and sending their things. Uh, she doesn't want to stay here. She hates it. She misses her friends. She can't believe this is her life. It's so unfair. She holds this supposedly lucky rock and still seems to think it's lucky, even though the worst news supposedly of her life just happened. Mm-hmm. But okay. And by the way, they never go back to California to get their stuff. They go, like, straight to Massachusetts from the beach. Or, like, they're already in Massachusetts. They go to, like, the grandma's house from their beach house. They just, like, abandon the California house. Well, they... uh, She says that, like, one of her mom's friends is gonna pack all their stuff. Oh, okay. I guess I missed that. That's a good friend. Yeah, oh my god. Not sure I'd do that for many, if any, of my friends. Yeah. Woof. So... The grandma lives on the North Shore in a town called New Salem, and it's not really on the North Shore. It's more off the North Shore because it's a small island that also, is Also, they bustling. make a big deal about how in Massachusetts you don't say the coast, you say the North Shore and the South Shore. And I feel like North Shore and South Shore actually have more specific definitions than 
uh, LJ Smith is using, but yes, I would agree. It's fine. And you know, at first she's like, "Oh, like an island, it's gonna suck." But then she finds out it has an IHOP, and of course, because this book takes place in Massachusetts, I will give LJ Smith this: it has a Dunkin' Donuts. Uh huh. And by the way, this is my favorite moment. It's a new IHOP, and so they have a dancing pancake in front of it, and there's a line like. Any town with a dancing pancake couldn't be that bad. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah, I can't fault that. Um, So she's like, oh, like, maybe it won't be that bad. And then they drive, like, through the town, and then they drive past, like, the nice houses into, like, this dark old house area. And she's like, oh, no, I hope we don't live on this road. I hope she doesn't live in the oldest, weirdest house all the way at the top of the road, which is, of course, her grandmother's house. This house sounds baller, by the way. As a person who's like, yes, I would ideally love to live in a creaky old haunted Victorian house. Um, everything about this house sounds amazing. Oh, yeah. I'd, I'd move into there in a minute. Yeah. And I am real mad at how many chapters she spends bitching about how terrible this house is and how ugly and how horrible and how she can't believe she has to live here. I mean, it did sound like the grandma was really behind an upkeep for the house. Yeah, that's true. But regardless, um, she hates it. Initially, when she sees her grandmother, who's like kind of stooped over and very old looking, she hates her grandmother on sight. Mm -hmm. But then um, she spends some time with her and her grandmother teaches her about the herbs that she grows in the garden. And she's like, "Okay, maybe I was an asshole for being like, oh, no, my grandmother's ugly. I hate her. And she also has a weird dream of her mother and grandmother standing over her bed talking about a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she has to start school. And the school on this supposedly very small island is absurdly large. And on top of a very large hill. Yes. And it has like multiple floors and multiple buildings. And it's like really grand and impressive. Yes. And there can't be that many high school age people who live on this island. But who knows? She has a real shit first day of school. Most of the girls ignore her. Most She tentatively talks to a couple people when she gets there. And then this girl with like long dark hair and sensuous lips and a voluptuous body... Uh, who has red painted fingernails comes in and is like a bitch to everyone, but they all kind of just deal like let her treat them poorly. And she tells everyone that Cassie lives on what is it, Crowhaven Road? Crowhaven yeah. Road. And then suddenly everyone shuns her. Mm-hmm. And this girl is Faye, and she's. By evil. the way, just based on the books that we read, I her name is. F-A-Y-E, the name, she's not a fairy, as yes. far as I know, unless that's a later <laughs> reveal. She's she's a fae, not, not a fae. Not that I'm aware of. I could have <laughs> forgotten, but I think I would have remembered that. But so their teacher asked them to write poems, and Cassie writes a poem about the boy that's called Fire, and she hopes that she doesn't want to be called on, but if she is called on and she has to read it out loud, she thinks that maybe everyone in the class will think she's romantic and mysterious and want to be friends with her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was like a weirdly kind of charming little authentic high school 
thought I I felt. Yeah, no, I felt that way too. Yeah, I think there's a like there's details in this book that are out of control, but I do feel like there's a lot of very authentic teenage voice in here, but then but then veering straight off the rails frequently. Yes. Um, but Cassie is not called on to read her poem. Faye is called on to read her poem. Her poem is also called Fire. And then when she finishes reading it, she makes the poem, the poem burst into flames somehow and drops it on the desk of this guy who she was flirting with very aggressively. aggressively. Yes. <laughs> yes. And she, so, I mean, us knowing it's a book about witches, like, oh, that's some witch shit. And Cassie's like, I didn't see where she got the matches from, but she must have had matches anyway. Uh, and the weirdest thing to Cassie is that the teacher is just kind of like, well, sure. And <laughs> moves on, like does yeah. not. S- students start fires in my classroom all the time here. <laughs> this is normal. Mm-hmm. Everyone in the class has like a non-reaction to the fact that this girl just read a poem about fire, got up, made a poem catch on fire and dropped it on another student's desk. Mm-hmm. No big deal. Uh, so at lunch, she goes outside to eat because she doesn't want to deal with sitting with people in the cafeteria and uh, navigating that minefield. And while she's out there, Faye comes out with two other girls and Cassie can't get away and they don't see her. So she accidentally on purpose ends up eavesdropping on their conversation where they talk about the club and their like things that they want to do this year and talk about like what boys they want to get with and all sorts of like vaguely ominous things until a group of students come out including and they are like oh we're gonna eat here too and then the girls scare them off except for one little girl who is a sophomore who they let stay until they like tease her about her virginity so much that she leaves by the way i just it's not dramatic readings but i do want to read just this few lines from Faye to really just give you a sense of how over the top these girls are where um Faye wants to make sure no one is listening and they confirm that no one is, except they don't know about Cassie. And then she says, "Good, because this is top secret. I don't want you know here to hear. I don't want you know who to hear anything about it. Now let me see. What shall we do to start this year off? I feel like something really wicked. All right, yeah. fa- all right, Faye. Um, well, so- and while that's all going on, and Cassie is listening, she's also describing Faye and the other two girls, Susan and Deborah." as uh, the one who has an extraordinary chest, and then the three of them together described as the most beautiful girls she'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of, oh, and we, we actually missed earlier on, very early on in the book, when um, she's settling into Crowhaven Road, one day she is out walking and spies through the window another incredibly beautiful girl who's so beautiful that it she's like stricken mute outside this girl's window looking in on her like a creep and she has the most beautiful hair she's ever seen and she's so gorgeous and wonderful that all Cassie wants in the world is to find her and be her best friend quote unquote yeah Cassie is in just full bisexual panic throughout this book yes Uh, And it would solve a lot of problems if she would realize that about herself. 
Right. Yeah, because she really is just frantically queer all the time. Oh, just constantly. She is constantly, every time she describes these girls, she does not forget to mention, like, how beautiful their bodies are and how gorgeous she finds them. Uh, But at this point, um, another girl comes out of the building, and it is the girlfriend of the boy that Faye was very aggressively uh, flirting with in the morning. And while they're arguing, Faye makes a movement with her hand, but does not actually touch the girl, but it does knock her off the stairs. And because the school is on a hill... It, it would, it might, like... A, like, like it, a desperately steep hill. Like this they, is they really that, emphasize how, like, high and steep this hill is. It sounds very dangerous to build your school on top of. Yeah. And this is a thing that it is made clear could kill this girl, except that Cassie pops out from her hiding spot to uh, help the girl. Um, so the girl does not die. She does, like, yell at Cassie for getting in her way. And then Faye says, like you're i'm i'm gonna kill you like you don't know what you're messing with fuck you you're in for it so then cassie it's like a a montage of cassie's worst week ever where she comes into school and increasingly gross things are in her locker um no one will talk to her or pay attention to her when she tries to sit with people in the cafeteria they get up and move when she sits down um it culminates in someone shoving, uh, someone, quote unquote, putting hamburger meat in her locker. Yeah. Just raw meat because Faye told her she was dead meat. Yes. And it's just stuffed full of hamburger meat. And when she opens her locker that day, she like loses her mind and is so upset and devastated. And then the beautiful blonde girl who she spied through the window appears out of nowhere to ask what's going on. And by the way, before this, she um, Cassie does try to talk to the principal, and it's just clear that everyone at the school just sort of lets these mean girls do whatever, and nothing. there's nothing to be done. Well, and to an alarming degree, too, because what she brought to the principal was a uh, a doll that was, like, hanging from a noose in her locker, and she walked into his office to say, hey, can you deal with this? And he just looked at it and went, oh, that's appropriate, and wouldn't do anything. Uh, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think Diana is the one who saves, the, the beautiful blonde girl is the one who saves her, or comes to her aid when that happens. I think it's a boy. Yeah, uh, yeah, that sounds right. It might have been Yeah, because she tells Diana about brothers. it later. She yeah. Tells yeah. Diana about, and Diana's like, I'll call the principal. I'm like, what? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, But she gets a note that day that says, like, meet me at the old science building. And she gets the person who gave her the note to tell her that it was from Sally, the girl who she saved from death. Um, But when she gets to the science building, of course, it's not. It's Diana and Deborah. No, it's Faye. No, it's Faye. Faye. Sorry. Faye and Deborah and Susan. Suzanne. The audiobook pronounced it Susan, which was weird. Um, Well, it's Susan with with a Z. Z. S-U-Z-A-N. So, whatever. And they threaten her with fire, like, to the point where, like, she can feel the edges of her hair singeing. And then Diana, the beautiful girl who she spied through the window, pops in and is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, stop. But And all the girls listen to her and they leave. They let go of, of Cassie and 
like chill out on torturing her and Faye sends them all away and brings Cassie to like a, a bathroom. Yeah, well, Diana brings Cassie home and she runs a bath for her and says, you can borrow my clothes and let me see if I can get all of this ash out of your sweater. And Cassie, who's been daydreaming about Diana all week and thinking like, oh, my God, my life would be so much better if she would just, you know, help me and be my friend and hold me and kiss my forehead and make everything better. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> And all of a sudden, her dreams are coming true. Yeah. Uh, So Cassie, or Diana, tells Cassie that uh, she can hang out for the rest of the evening, that um, a couple of Diana's other friends are going to come over and they're going to have a pizza party and Cassie is welcome to stay. And Cassie finds out that Diana is in something called the club, which she had previously... The the Capital C Club. Yes. Uh, Which... Faye was a member of so she had assumed that it was like a terrible thing but Diana's like oh no no we're not all like Faye like there's a lot of people in the club Faye and her friends are like kind of assholes but the rest of us are chill and it's really complicated uh I don't want to explain it to you but like the club is fine don't don't stress about it and under when with Diana as her friend like she doesn't have to stress because suddenly everyone in school is treating her super nice because Diana like makes it very clear that she and Cassie are best friends now by the way one of my favorite things about the pizza party is I think Lauren one of the other girls comes in as like it's vegetarian pizza right there's no patriarchal pepperoni and that's <laughs> yeah. It's like that the most good. 90s teen feminism I can imagine. <laughs> and, I that. and I'm going to like forever refer to pepperoni pizza as patriarchal pepperoni. <laughs> and it's going to be real confusing to most people. And that's just the price <laughs> I'm going to have to pay. It's so worth it. Um, so uh, Diana also tells Cassie that some, from the moment she saw her, she knew that there was a connection between them. And that she already cares about Cassie so much, and they should be sisters. Yes. They should be honorary sisters. And Cassie... they both always wanted a sister. Yes. And Cassie, of course, who's been, like, in rapturous joy that Diana's even paying attention to her, is like, oh my god, yes, yes, let's be sisters. Because that's what she wants from Diana, Mm -hmm. or so she thinks. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Some kind of deep and everlasting connection that they can swear on (laughs) to be together forever. Yes. And it's the way that this is a tangent and I'm sorry, but the way that these girls talk about their friendships and I understand I've had deep, meaningful friendships that are just friendships. I've had romantic friendships that are just friendships. The way these girls talk about their friendships is how I used to think about certain friendships that I had as a tween, an early teenager, before I realized I was queer, that I look back on now and I'm like, oh, I had a crush on them. Like, the it is, like, word for word in places, like, exact feelings that I would have had of, like, she just, like, there's just something about her. She's just so beautiful. And I just want to be her best friend and be around her all the time. And I feel like my soul is reaching out to her. And I just need to surround myself with her. And I'll do anything it takes. 
<laughs> yeah, just gals being pals. Yeah. <laughs> and it, I mean, it reminds me a lot of, um, I read a lot of, like, Victorian literature and stuff, yeah, stuff written late 1800s, early 1900s when I was growing up. And um, there were a lot of very romantic feminine friendships that I I knew that on some level some people critiqued them as being, you know, uh, homosocial, if not outright queer representation. And I always thought like, no, no, that they're just friends. And then grew up and eventually realized, hey, I'm queer. Hey, some of my romantic friendships are definitely romantic. And later on went, you know, maybe I was using the wrong scale all along. (laughs) But I mean, this seems very much like Anne of Green Gables with how Anne and Diana felt about each other. Yes. And the absolute just ricocheting from ecstasy to despair at every twist and turn in their friendship and oaths of friendship and all that yeah it's very it is that like the the deep feelings that they immediately have for each other upon sight and the way that cassie so consistently describes the bodies of all of her female friends in much more detail than she describes the bodies of her male friends oh yeah is just like I just want to take her and very gently be like let me tell you some things and maybe they will awaken something in you (laughs) (laughs) um but anyway um so even though even though they're sisters now they start talking about the capital C club and Diana's like oh sorry there's um and and in a very sort of shy not quite asking way Cassie inquires if there might be space in the club for her and diana's like oh it's it's very limited membership and earlier she'd eavesdropped something about like one member out one member in and so there's only one space open in the club and Corey, the sophomore from earlier is going to get the empty space in the club except that Corey is found dead by cassie at the bottom of that super steep hill yes Everyone is, like, devastated, obviously, and everyone is devastated to Cassie as if she is the representative of the Capital C Club, and it reaches a point where she's like, I didn't even know this girl. Like, I'm sorry. Like, it's tragic that she's dead, and I'm very upset about it, but, like, I did not. I was not her friend. And they kind of back off. Um, Also, by the way, one of my favorite turns of phrase in this is that... um, the quote police doctor says that Corey's neck was broken. I was like, do you mean like coroner? Like if I know that this was the nineties, but I don't think police doctor is, I is a thing. I also laughed at that. <laughs> Sometimes you can't remember a word when you're writing and then you totally forget to go back and fill it in later. <laughs> anyway, the police doctor diagnosed Corey with death. And <laughs> Cassie is like, you know, Cassie has already seen the mean girls almost kill um, Sally in this fashion. And so she is pretty convinced that that's, you know, there's foul play afoot here. Yes. Um, and she goes home that night. And in the middle of the night, she is kidnapped from her room and she freaks out. And eventually, like, is able to figure out that it's Faye who has kidnapped her. And thinks that Faye is going to murder her, too, until she also realizes that Diana is there and then um, is unblindfolded or something. 
I kind of fell asleep during this part of the audiobook. I know it was very important. Uh, well, she was wrapped in a sheet, so she couldn't struggle and had a hood of some kind over her head. So, like, she was fully tied up and unable to see anything or perhaps breathe very well. Yes. But she eventually discovers that everyone from the Capital C Club is there and they've taken her to the beach. And it is explained to her that this is an initiation ceremony and she is joining the club if she wants to um they do this whole thing where like they all stand in a circle title mention um and she has to like step into the circle to accept her membership and they explain to her that the club is actually a witch coven and that new salem was founded when the witches left regular salem because they the the actual the people who were killed in the Salem witch trials were not actual witches but the actual witches were like well shit we we should get out of dodge now um so they fled and they found it new Salem so Katie my question to you is in the TV show when they are in Washington and not by the historic Salem witch trials what is the is there any explanation for yeah the explanation and um and also interestingly in the books um the circle that they have requires 12 members from the 12 families that fled salem and so they changed it to six families and six members in the circle for the show for obvious simplifying reasons um but it was just a case of there was, I guess, westward exploration happening. And I think there were a few steps along the way. I don't think they went straight to Washington because that would have been a wild thing to do in 1693. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, they were getting further away was the point of it. Okay. It's just like, it seems so weird. <laughs> also, I think actually there is a Salem, Washington or a Salem, Oregon, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's actually what it was. I think they're like, hey, there's another place called Salem. Let's go there. Yeah. That might have been the reason, actually. It was just, it seemed weird when I saw it on Wikipedia. Um, But yes, as Katie alluded to, um, there were 12 families who left regular Salem to form New Salem. And they also had like some normies on the island with them who accepted that they were witches. Um, They were the help. Yes. And over time, I think around the time, like their great grandmothers, great grandparents were the witches in charge. They decided they weren't going to do witchcraft anymore. And they locked up all their books of shadows and all of their secret magical artifacts. And this group of descendants discovered the book of shadows and discovered their heritage and have decided they're going to take it back. And they are going to um, be witches again. And one of Cassie's- my favorite details is one of the girls who's good at computers is digitizing them on a floppy disk. Uh-huh. Yes. And they Look call up- it the floppy disk of shadows. And yes. that's very good. It was. Yes. And the other revelation that comes through all of this is that Diana's boyfriend, who has previously been alluded to, but we have not met because he's been traveling... Um, appears at the initiation ceremony and it is the beautiful boy from the beach who Cassie has been in love with despite only knowing for 35 seconds 
uh, since she saw him, and she is devastated to discover that he is Diana's boyfriend because she was sure that they were supposed to be together because the silver cord of fate mm-hmm. had pulled them towards each other. And she, he goes to acknowledge that they've met before, and she cuts it off and is like, oh, like, Diana, aren't you going to introduce me to your boyfriend? And pretends that they've never met before. Because obviously it would break Diana's heart if Diana were to find out that Cassie has feelings for her boyfriend. And no matter what fate has to say about boyfriends being brought into Cassie's life, she absolutely can never, ever hurt Diana in that way. Absolutely yes. not. And um, by the way, th- throughout the time that Cassie's been there, she's made a couple allusions to like, oh, no, I'm not dating anyone, but I did meet a cool boy on the beach this one time. And and Faye saw the poem that she wrote that was about a boy. Like, she's she's laid a few clues that there was a summer boy that she was into. And so she's afraid that if people are like, oh, you already met this boy. Oh, this must be that summer boy that you mentioned a couple times. Yes. The boy that wrote a fire poem about. Wrote a fire poem about, yes. So Adam has been, when he's been traveling, he was really looking for the special old-timey tools of witchcraft that were left behind. And he has found one, and it is a crystal skull. And we discover that the Circle, the capital C Club, right now Diana is the temporary leader, and for whatever reason, they're not having a full leadership vote until November. But for whatever other reason, they can call a leadership vote at any time. And Faye has been trying to get Russell leadership from Diana and has been trying to get people on her side. And right now it's like even more or less. Um, And with Cassie there, the idea is that she would obviously go for Diana. So Diana would win if there was a vote like that. But... Uh, Faye immediately wants to work with this crystal skull and they're all like no 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 Diana and and the boy Adam are like no 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 we can't do that we don't know what it is yet we need to purify it we need to make sure it's not dangerous and Faye essentially is like if you don't let us figure out if you don't let us play around with the skull then I'm gonna call a leadership vote right now and you'll lose and so Diana kind of is like, all right, that's fine. It's fine. We'll do this. So they have a, a ceremony ritual to purify it. And during the ritual, Faye is trying to do something to the skull and it breaks the circle. Um, just, but as the circle is breaking, like this evil force escapes the skull, mm-hmm. um, which is bad. Mm-hmm. And, so they, they call an end to the ritual and Cassie's like, okay, I want to go home now. And Diana's like, oh, well, you can't walk home by yourself, Adam. Why don't you walk Cassie home? Yeah, because she's a good, concerned friend with no reason to be suspicious that Cassie is actually interested in a boy. Yes. <laughs> Reasonably so. Uh-huh. And Cassie tries to be like super chill about it and about the fact that she is not admitting to have met Adam before and uh, just like being a attempting to be like a shallow hair flipping girl and Adam does not buy it in the least. And uh, by the time they walk back to Cassie's house, um, he is asking 
what's wrong and why is she acting like this? And that's when she completely breaks down and says, well, I'm in love with you, actually. And I can't possibly say that in front of Diana. Mm -hmm. Yes. Those 35 seconds they spent together on the beach were very formative. Uh, And she is in love with him and she's devastated because being in love with him will hurt Diana. Uh, And he tells her that he is also in love with her. Real good 35 seconds they had on the beach. Hey, Um, that silver cord. It doesn't matter how much time if there's a silver cord. Apparently. Um, So they kiss passionately and then they're like, oh, no, we can't do this because Diana, we don't want to hurt her because we love her. And for a second, it looks like it's going to veer into polyamory. Mm -hmm. And should. Because Cassie's like, oh, you can probably love two people at one time. That's why Adam loves both me and Diana. And I guess the human heart can love more than one person at once. And instead of kind of veering into... And that maybe makes sense for a relationship. She's like, so we need to do a ritual so that we never hurt Diana again. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do a blood ritual on the beach to never hurt Diana again. By the way, also somewhere near the the Calcadony, the fancy rock that Adam gave her at the beginning had been a gift that Diana had given Adam. And so then she gives it back to Adam. And it it's just really... It's just really romantic all around this rock. There's there's this weird bit, though, where he's like mad at her because he's like, you could have like if you had ever held the rock and thought only of me, I would have known it. I would have felt it. And I never did. And like he, he never gave her that instruction explicitly like that. And she's like, oh, yeah. well, I have held it and thought of him, but not only of him. Of other things too, I guess it's like the fucking secret. It's like, oh, well, you you didn't you didn't send him you for a second. You thought about something else, so it wasn't enough to actually let him know that you were thinking of him. <laughs> well, and to be fair, I think I can't remember if she was holding it or not, but uh, in the beach ritual when she joined the circle, when it was winding down, I think didn't she um, like think of him and think of possibly some love spell or something like that and all of a sudden he appeared yeah Yeah. i don't i don't know if she had it with her at that point because they had pulled her out of bed oh yeah that's true yeah but but so regardless she gives him the rock back uh and things are great except the next morning she gets a note from Faye, and it says like come see me don't tell anyone else in the club capital c club that you're coming over and she assumes that Faye is going to try and, like, woo her to her side and get her to, like, want to investigate the skull and all that shit. But Faye says, like, I have a friend who lives out by you who saw you and Adam making out last night. And between that and this poem that I have that you wrote about him, I could use this to tell Diana that you were macking on her boyfriend and she'll hate you forever. Um... And in order to make me, in order for me to not do that, you need to do me a favor. And that favor is, I know you know where the skull is and you need to bring it to me. Uh, And Cassie very much does not want to do that and does not want to do anything to help Faye. But Diana's friendship and sisterhood is so important to her, more so than anything else in the world, which is why she swore a blood oath to protect her, that she feels like she has to give in to this blackmail. 
By the way, I would love to read you uh, just a few more lines of Faye's dialogue that are, in fact, the very end of the initiation. The truth is that you're my captive from now on. I own you now, Cassie Blake. I own you body and soul. (laughs) (laughs) It's normal heterosexual threatening things. Yes. Oh, yes. Faye has quite the vibe and... Well, it it also is ridiculously strong in the show. Um, To the point where the actors, like, seven years later now, are still throwing around ship names on each other's Instagrams. Great. Yeah. It's, like, everyone in this book is so queer. There's one character, Deborah, who's coded very queer. She's, like, the tough girl who wears a leather jacket who, like, never thought about boys or never turned to look at a boy and was just interested in other things. Oh, I mean, it does explicit... Well, it says when uh, she and Susan and Faye are out sitting on the rocks um, that it's like, oh, Deborah, you don't see the point of boys. And Deborah's like, yeah, Faye, and you don't see the point of anything else. <laughs> yeah, it's so there, there's one like fairly queer character on purpose, but like fucking ev- all the girls in this book, they're all obsessed with each other and with each other's bodies and with how beautiful they all are. And it just everyone just oozes this like 90s repressed queer girl energy it's all over everything. Everything that happens in this book is just dripping with it. Yes. Which really makes me wonder about L.J. Smith, because I'm I'm pretty sure she didn't actually intend any of that. However, like, that's a whole lot to write without intending any of that. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was talking to my roommate. My roommate actually has, like, read these books many times. Um, and we were listening. She was listening to this with me when we were driving to brunch the other day. And I, I literally said that to her. I was like, it does make me wonder if, like, maybe L.J. Smith needs to do some, like, deep diving into her soul. Because oh, yes. the way she writes about female friendship is certainly the way I thought about female friendship when I was 13 and didn't realize that I could have more than friendship with women. I just went on her Wikipedia page, and her personal life section is only about which of her family members have cancer. (laughs) Yikes. Yes. Well, she took a hiatus from writing to take care of her sister's children when her brother-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, and then her mom was diagnosed with cancer, and then in late 2015, Smith was diagnosed with granulomatosis with polyangitis, which I don't know what that is, and I... I think it's uh, on the rheumatic disease spectrum because back when I used to work for arthritis and rheumatism, I remember a few papers coming in on that. Okay. Anyway, that's all that her personal life has. So there's no husband, no wife, no anything mentioned. So. Yeah, it's just, it's like, this book is drowning in it. It's, it's so, I had said, I had asked my roommate when I had mentioned, like, oh, I'm, I'm, this is the book we're doing, I know that you like these books, like, I hear they're queer, she's like, yeah, yeah, they, and I could not have really fathomed how really intensely queer they actually are. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot. Um, enjoyable. Yes. Uh, very. Enjoyed it. Uh, probably will watch this show. I definitely recommend it. It is a delightful hot mess. 
I probably won't watch the show because it does, while I did largely enjoy this, it does hang everything on the trope that I hate the most, which is if we spent 30 seconds talking to each other, everything would be okay. Yeah. And it does drive me so crazy that I think watching like a full season of television where that is happening constantly in the background might like make me pull my hair out. But do you but mean that the Diana a... and Adam thing? Yes. Because I don't and think that I would imagine... make everything okay. Like what? I don't think that would make everything okay. I mean, it would I think... clear the it would clear the air at least, and it would not make her not have to be blackmailed by this very evilly coded girl. Yeah, but just can I get if... spoilers for a little further along in the books, please? Okay, so the next volume where it picks up with the captive, the secret comes out. Faye reveals that Cassie wrote this poem, and she's been in love with a boy all summer. And I saw her making out with Adam and Diana. They betrayed you. They betrayed everything. And Adam goes, okay, wait a second. That's not how it was. And he explains and says, and so yes, Cassie and I feel very drawn to each other. And yes, we did kiss. And then we decided that that's never going to happen again. And Diana, we're both dedicated to you. And there's like this beautiful shining moment where everybody just loves each other very much. And Diana's like, okay, well, you guys said that you know, that's going to be the end of it. And I believe you and okay, let's move on together. And we all love each other very much. And like it is, it's not polyamory, but it is a very, um, once they're honest with each other, and then they're all like, Oh, okay, well, we love each other so, so, so much. So we're okay now. And like Faye is enraged, because she's like, everybody was supposed to destroy each other over this. And you just love each other even more. Yeah. Interesting. Right. If, if it does if it does turn out okay like that, maybe I will then. But yeah, regardless, why don't we move on to dramatic readings? Yes, let's. So our first one is from toward the beginning when um, Cassie's meeting Adam on the beach, except she doesn't know his name is Adam yet. They're like our D&D characters, just incapable of introducing themselves. <laughs> True. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So I'll be Cassie, who's the narrator, and Kate will be Adam. All right. This is Chalcedony. It is a good luck piece. If you're ever in trouble or danger or anything like that, if there's ever a time when you feel all alone and no one else can help you, hold on to it tight, tight. His fingers squeezed hers. And think of me. She stared up at him, mesmerized. She was hardly breathing, and her chest felt too full. He was so close to her, she could see his eyes, the same color as the crystal, and she could feel his breath on her skin and the warmth of his body reflecting the sun's heat. His hair wasn't just red, but all sorts of colors, some strands so dark they were almost purple, others like burgundy wine, others gold. Different, she thought again. He was different from any guy she'd ever known. A sweet, hot current was running through her, a feeling of wildness and possibility. She was trembling, and she could feel a heartbeat in her fingers, but she couldn't tell if it was hers or his. He had seemed to hear her thoughts before. Now she felt almost as if he were in her mind. He was so close, and he was looking down at her. And what happens then? she whispered. And then, maybe your luck will change. Abruptly, he stepped back, as if he'd just remembered something, and his tone altered. The moment was over. It's worth a try, don't you think? 
he said lightly. Unable to speak, she nodded. He was teasing now, but he hadn't been before. I've got to go. I shouldn't have stayed this long. Cassie swallowed. You'd better be careful. I think Jordan had a gun. Wouldn't surprise me. Don't worry. I'm leaving the Cape. For now, anyway. I'll be back. Maybe I'll see you then. He started to turn. Then he paused one last moment and took her hand again. Cassie was too startled at the feeling of his skin against hers to do anything about it. He turned her hand over and looked at the red marks on her wrist, then brushed them lightly with his fingertips. The steely light was back in his eyes when he looked up. And believe me, he'll pay for this someday. I guarantee it. And then he did something that shocked Cassie more than anything else had during that whole shocking day. He lifted her wounded hand to his lips and kissed it. It was the gentlest, the lightest of touches, and it went through Cassie like fire. She stared at him, dazed and unbelieving, utterly speechless. She could neither move nor think. She could only stand there and feel. And then he was leaving, whistling for the dog, which romped around Cassie in circles, before finally breaking away. She was alone, gazing after him, her fingers clenched tightly on the small, rough stone in her palm. It was only then that she realized she'd never asked him his name. Dummy. <laughs> All right. So that's their, their meeting. They're forging a silver cord, etc. Um, and now we'll move away from the water and into the fire. And I'm going <laughs> to be fay for you. She tossed her glorious mane of black hair back and shrugged, causing her off-the-shoulder top to slip down a little lower. Tilting her head back, she smiled slowly at the class and held up a piece of paper. This is my poem, she said in her lazy, husky voice. It's about fire. Shocked, Cassie looked down at the poem on her own desk. Then Faye's voice caught her attention. I dream about fire, tongues of flame licking me. My hair burns like a torch. My body burns for you. Touch my skin and your fingers will stick. You'll blacken like a cinder. But you'll die smiling, then you'll be part of the fire, too. As the entire class watched, riveted, Cassie pro- or, sorry, as the entire class watched, riveted, Faye produced a match, and somehow, Cassie didn't quite see how, managed to light it. She touched it to the paper, and the paper caught fire. Then, walking slowly, she moved to stand directly in front of Jeffrey Lovejoy, waving the burning paper gently before his eyes. Howls, whistles, and desk banging from the audience. Many of them looked scared, but most of the guys looked excited, too. Some of the girls looked as if they wished they dared to do something like that. Ugh, honestly, iconic. Truly. All right. And then our last dramatic reading is going to be um, Cassie and Diana having having a moment in the bathroom. Yes, it's set uh, right after Faye and company try to set Cassie on fire in the burned down old building that they had been bullying her in. And so Diana uh, rescues her and brings her home with her and, um, and asks if she wants to get cleaned up. And so Cassie looks in a mirror. Her hair was a mess. Her face was smudged with black and striped with tears. She looked like a war orphan. I'll lend you some clothes while we get yours clean. And you can get clean in this. 
Diana was bustling around, running hot water into a claw-footed bathtub, adding something that smelled sweet and bubbled. She put out towels, soap, shampoo, all with a speed that bewildered Cassie. Throw your clothes outside when you get undressed, and you can put this on afterwards, she said, hanging a fluffy white bathrobe on the hook on the door. Okay, you're set. She disappeared, and Cassie was left staring at the shut door. She looked at the slightly steamy mirror, then at the bathtub. She felt cold and achy inside. Her muscles were trembling from tension. The hot, sweet-scented water looked perfect, and when she climbed in and it rose around her, she let out an involuntary sigh of bliss. Oh, it was lovely. Just right. She lay and basked for a while, letting the heat soak into her bones and the light, flowery smell fill her lungs. It seemed to clear the last tired cobwebs from her head and refresh her. She took a washcloth and scrubbed the grime off her face and body. The shampoo smelled sweet, too. When she finally got out of the tub and wrapped herself in the big, white terry cloth robe, she was clean and warm and more relaxed than she could remember being in weeks. She could scarcely believe this was happening, but she felt filled with light. The bathroom was old-fashioned, but not in an ugly way, she decided. Pretty towels and jars of colored bath salts and what looked like potpourri made it nice. She slipped on the soft white slippers Diana had left and padded into the hall. The door opposite was ajar. Hesitantly, she knocked, pushed it open. Then she stopped on the threshold. Diana was sitting on a window seat, head bent over Cassie's gray sweater on her lap. Above her in the window, prisms were hanging. The sun was striking them so that little triangles of rainbow fell in the room, bands of violet and green and orangey red. They were sliding across the walls, dancing on the floor, on Diana's arms and hair. It was as if she was, were sitting in the middle of a kaleidoscope. No wonder the window had sparkled, Cassie thought. Diana looked up and smiled. So when Cassie sees Diana, there are literal rainbows all around the room. Yeah, they're just very good friends. Yeah. Uh, it, is, it is certainly something. <sighs> all right. Uh, should we move on to some would you rather? Yeah. Sounds good. Would you rather live on Crowhaven Road or in Forks, Washington? That's a hard one. Yeah. And I have to say, I mean, I, I feel like I made my feelings about this pretty clear at the beginning. Uh, it's my lifelong dream to live in a remote Victorian house with, you know, especially on like an island surrounded by very atmospheric ocean I understand the upkeep of such a place would be a pain in the ass, but also if I was here in New Salem in on Crowhaven Road in this beautiful Victorian house, uh, I would not be that far from my friends as well, so I could have the best of both worlds. So that is my answer. I agree with Kate. I think that the uh, the houses on Crowhaven Road are, are better, and I would definitely like to, to live in one of those. Um, I'm scared of home maintenance work and also of living on an island, so I'm going to live in Forks. Uh, but I'll I'll come back to visit you guys. Okay, Great, that sounds thanks. good. How about would you rather pet Raj, who is Adam's magic dog, or Salem the cat from Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Uh, I have. I'm going to pet Raj the dog for two reasons. One, I'm much less allergic to dogs than I am to cats. And two, 
Um, I feel like Salem would be real bitchy to me. And I don't know that I could emotionally deal with his sarcastic remarks. Oh, that's why I would prefer Salem, because uh, I would know that if he let me pet him, it would really mean something because he would be too sarcastic to anyone else. Yes, same. Extremely. Um, I would... I would love to be sassed by Sam the cat. I'd love to see him um, produce some uh, appropriate props or costumes for whatever occasion compelled us to meet. Um, yeah, I just I would I would love to in any way interact with Salem. By the way, the one from the Melissa Joan Hart series, I never watched the Netflix one because the internet told me the cat doesn't talk in that one. And what is the point even then? <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's very difficult in that way. Salem should talk. Nonsense. Finally, would you rather eat some patriarchal pepperoni pizza on top of a very steep hill or eat at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle the movie that serves only steaks and cakes? Uh, you know, as much as I love pepperoni pizza, I really shouldn't eat it anymore. Um, and I guess it is a tool of the patriarchy. Who knew? Uh, so also I have like a recurring weird dream about being unable to climb a steep hill. So I'd like to stay away from steep hills. So of course I will go with our sponsor, Steaks and Cakes. I'll have a nice steak and then a whole cake. And, uh, you know, I'll be pretty happy with that selection. Are steaks patriarchal? Who knows? Further investigation required. Bring your detective gear to Steaks and Cakes. <laughs> well, I think I would probably go with patriarchal pepperoni pizza on top of a steep hill because I like mountains and also I feel like eating the patriarchy is a very feminist move, which could also apply to eating steaks too if steaks are patriarchal. True. Okay. Well, I'm just going to eat a cake, but I'll see you at Steaks and Cakes. Excellent. All right, let's move on to Reader's Advisory and suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to these. I mean, I'll say if you're interested in some, like, overwrought teen drama, um, you know, sexuality panic, witchcraft, all of that, I this is a pretty quick read, pretty breezy. Um, definitely some, like, whack moments, but I, I wouldn't say don't read this if it sounds like your jam. I think it's very fun and quick, so, like, even if you feel that it's trash it won't take up a whole ton of your life yeah i could have i started listening to this on friday on my way to work if i did not accidentally stay at my book club until like 10 o'clock last night i think i could have very easily also listened to the second one before we record it today um but i did stay at my book club until 10 o'clock at night last night so i did not do that um anyway though as some other stuff you could read. I I've definitely have recommended some of these in the past because I guess we do talk about fantasy and witches sort of regularly. But um, Toil and Trouble is a YA anthology edited by Jessica Spotswood and Tess Sharp, and it's very good. Uh, it's been a while since I recommended Akata Witch by Nadia Korafor, so I'll just say it again because it is so good and such a... Um, great uh non-western look at witchcraft and it's just really fun and you should read if you haven't already tbh um i would recommend 
despite what Renata said, um, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, both the comic uh, that the show was inspired by and um, the show itself on Netflix are both very good. If you don't like talking cats, I guess. Um, so the book that we read for book club was Witch Week by Diana Wynne-Jones, which is part of the Crestomancy series. And while I don't think the Crestomancy series on a whole would be a good read-alike for this, I, I reading both of them simultaneously did ping some things in my brain. Uh, and I like the Crestomancy series. And it, it's interesting that you brought that one up because I have not read Witch Week, but I have read some other Diana Wynne-Jones books. And I felt that there was a very similar vibe between some of her writing and The Secret Circle. Just something about the wildness of the magic and some of the feelings and girls growing up, which I I can't point to anything specifically, but some of the same feeling I think is there. Yes. And uh, I have a couple more, but I'll just, I'll end with um, Wilder Girls by Rory Power, which is not about witches, but it is about explicitly queer girls on an island. And it's very creepy. It's extreme warning for body horror with that one. But if you don't mind that, it is very good. Speaking of horror, by the way, I, I did read The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina book, and I just want to say that if you liked something goofy like the secrets or like the chilling adventures of sabrina is so much more like dark and gory and like gritty the the book um and the cat doesn't talk and just if you and that's the whole point of it is that it's not like light and funny like the show and like the original archie comics but it really is a lot and so i just i i guess i want to counter recommend it like if you're like if you like actual horror stuff yes check it out but if you are a wussy baby and you only like sort of goofy witches maybe not maybe not well and and for my recommendations similarly um saw kill girls by claire legrand is um a lot like this in many ways it's also uh an island on the north atlantic coast somewhere um there's three teenage girls who are all uh dealing with a a horror situation where there's some sort of mysterious monster and they're all coming into their powers and dealing with their relationships to power and to each other in some very queer ways and um so i think like if you are interested in a similar story in a similar setting but something that's a lot heavier and more horror-based and really goes in depth into some of the themes. Um, Sawkill Girls is absolutely that. And then, as I mentioned before, Anne of Green Gables for further rapturous delight and despair over beloved friends named Diana. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So we'll have all these up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, as well as some other ones that we um, didn't get a chance to mention. So, um, what do we, uh, what do you think our candy pairing is for this book? My candy pairing, uh, is a caramel apple, um, because it's something that, like, you look at it and you're like, oh, like, this will probably be fine and delicious, um, but it just, like, kind of is a mess, and it's not not delicious, but you are kind of like, how the hell do I eat this? I'm confused, and also, there's caramel everywhere. My pairing is saltwater taffy. Uh, I feel that that's very ocean-themed. And also, especially if it's 
taffy that's lingered on past your summer vacation, much like Cassie has lingered on um, at Cape Cod or wherever uh, past summer vacation. And so everything becomes a little, you know, more challenging to enjoy since it's no longer vacation. Uh, mine is fever few, which the Good Witch Girls want to add to their salads, um, but also I, you can use it to cure headaches or infertility, and I just felt like, much like this book, it seems like that's an herb that's got a lot going on, but, <laughs> um, but ultimately, you know. Help, yeah, I will helpful. say, we we did not talk about the herbs nearly as much as I would imagine we, we would have for this podcast. We if really didn't talk about been, them at all. If this book had been less gay, then we would have been able to fit more herbs in. That's true. There yeah, was a lot of herbs, true. though. There was a lot of herbs. Not, like, Outlander levels, but then this book is shorter, so, like, proportionally, it's probably about the same amount of herbal content. All right. Um, so let's move on and play The Rock, Paper, Snicked. Which is, of course, the game where Kate says who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And uh, Katie will choose which most enhances the book. Or she can choose paper, which is to leave it as is. Okay. If Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be a health teacher at their weird multi-building, multi-floor school on the top of a hill. And he would, we would see all the characters in his health class, and he would give them a brief lesson on alternative sexualities. And then the characters would be so busy dealing with their personal revelations that they wouldn't have time to bother with crystal skulls or blackmail. Mm. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, it would be because uh, Ilyana Rasputin, a.k.a. Magic with a Y, uh, young, young ex-woman, was trying to infiltrate the circle. Um, together, Ilyana and Wolverine would teach Cassie how to sword fight, which would be pretty cool. Um, so together, they would banish Faye to an alternate dimension, um, and Ilyana would take her place in the circle, which would remove um, that pesky blackmail. And meanwhile, Wolverine, who's uh, no stranger to a love triangle, could introduce Cassie to the concept of polyamorous relationships, which might just resolve that Cassie-Adam-Diana triangle in a different way. Um, I think... Wow, can I possibly choose both? Um, (laughs) Probably The Rock, because I think he could also achieve the ending of Cassie and Adam and Diana figuring out that they could be in a relationship together and be happy like they want to be without it being a drama. Yeah, he's very good at that kind of thing. It's true. All right. Well, well played. And uh, what do we think the moral of the story is? My moral of the story is that our heterocentric society hurts everyone. And mine is be careful who you befriend at a new school. And that doesn't say whether the witches or the normies are the ones you should be careful of. Yeah, use your judgment. Yeah. Uh, My moral is never underestimate the power of teen poetry. It is the driving force in this particular story. All right, and now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions about the book. You know what, Duarte, you are right. Uh, We haven't yet mentioned the part 
where uh, Cassie goes over to Faye's house and Faye has two really adorable but really bloodthirsty kittens. And that was an excellent moment and honestly just another reason why I do stand Faye. <laughs> yeah, I I didn't like that moment so much, but, you know, we're allowed to like different things, Duarte. It's okay. Well, and Duarte, I hate to break it to you, but Faye exploits her poor kittens because they're her spies. That's incredible. She is a kitten exploiter. Is that in the show? Um, I can't remember if it was in the show. Oh my god. It's revealed later in the books that the kittens were the ones spying on Cassie and Adam. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Faye, what an icon. <laughs> She's amazing. All right, uh, Duarte, thanks so much for reminding us of that great moment, and thank you for reading this. And do any humans have any closing thoughts? Not really. I mean, these books were frustrating, and I found parts of them annoying, and I did not, which is not maybe not necessarily her fault and more L.J. Smith's fault, but I did not find Cassie very sympathetic as a narrator or a character. But they, I mean, it was fine. They were, I'm, I'm... I they kept my attention. I was interested. It didn't hurt physically like some of these books do. <laughs> Went down easy. Yeah, I think they're just fun and definitely ridiculous. Just deeply, deeply ridiculous. <laughs> and you know, I don't know. Be gay, do witchcraft. Be gay, do witchcraft. Yes, love it. All right. Well, if you uh, would like to come uh, share your favorite herbs with us or whatever uh, online, you can find us on Facebook or facebook.com slash worst bestsellers. We're also on Twitter at worst bestseller with no S. Uh, the S was pushed down that hill and, and the police doctor said that there was just no saving that S. So <laughs> we've had to carry on without it. Uh, we also have a Goodreads group, uh, which is in most easily accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Goodreads link. Uh, you can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the podcast places you know and love. Uh, if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review, it pushes us up on the charts and makes it easier for new people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we're going to tell everyone about that poem. You know the one. We have it, and we're going to tell everyone about it. <laughs> we we have it saved to a floppy disk. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to get a USB disk drive and then it's all over for you bitches. <laughs> you can also pledge us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation. Uh, it goes to do things like buy new equipment for us, um, pay our editor, and all sorts of other great things. There are perks for you, like access to a newsletter we send out once a month, uh, discounts on merchandise, and all sorts of other things. Uh, and speaking of merchandise, we do have a shop where that you can get to by going to worstbestsellers.com and uh, clicking on it there. And we have all sorts of designs that you can get to wear on your body. Uh, if you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter and um, send me your favorite Salem the Cat GIFs, I'm at Renata's... Oh boy, what's my Twitter name? I'm at <laughs> Renata Snacks. 
Uh, if you'd like to follow me personally on Twitter and hear about all of the, well, I guess it's coming out in November, so you would have already heard about all the horror movies that I'm watching in October, can, uh, but I'm at 14 read. across. And my Twitter is locked, but if you want to find me on Tumblr, it's just a whole bunch of reblogs of whatever entertains me, and that's Intricate88 with a K instead of a C in Intricate. Clever. Love it. Um... All right, I think that's uh, I think that's about it, Katie. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for inviting us, me. Uh, yeah, thank you for your especially delightful facts about what happens later in the series. Important. <laughs> and we will be back in two weeks with the Mister by E. L. James. Um, not looking this, forward to that. Not looking forward to it. This has been frequently requested, so you're welcome. <laughs> Is it like a plant Mister or a Mister Mister? Oh, God, I wish it was a plant mister. <laughs> I'm going to just presume that it is, and everything will be far more entertaining. I want the, like, Mad Magazine version. That's... <laughs> About a sexy plant mister. <laughs> yeah, and he makes all the ladies so wet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, I have to go to jail now. <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. You did a crime. You do. <laughs> So, uh, that means I don't have to read this book, though. Bye. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.